right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Jason, is this the episode that we start with someone plummeting off of a tall building, or is this the episode that we end with someone plummeting off of a tall building? <laughs> well, I guess we can talk about both today. So uh, I guess if you're ready, let's do this. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is it one, two, three, and then go, or do we go on three? <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We are so excited. This is episode three of the Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon. This is the last episode of our movie comparisons of the year, but we may have something special in store just before Christmas, which will let be a surprise. That's right. Coming Christmas Eve or maybe the 23rd. We're not sure yet. Yeah. Quick shout out to our new Patreon member, Brad Moore. He is the executive producer of today's show. Brad, thank you so much for donating through Patreon. It means so much to us. We can't express it. If anybody else would like to be an executive producer, it's super easy. Just go to our Patreon page. If you wanted to buy us a cup of coffee each month, that'd cost about five bucks. And that's what you can get in on for these Patreon pages. And then there are more prizes and exciting things that come as you step up the contributions. But Anybody who contributes is going to become one of our executive producers. Thank you guys so much. And here we go with episode three. All of the tales in Western civilization that have a love story and component have a guy saving a princess, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's just part of it. So, absolutely. And then we've got death of number two in Lethal Weapon, Mr. Joshua. Mr. Joshua. Which is preceded by a fight scene. Yes. Which is really dumb. It's a little absurd. It's, yes, it is. It's incredibly, incredibly dumb. And I love watching it every single time. It is like the oxygen tank in the mouth of Jaws that's just absurd. But if you've come along this far along in the ride, you want that payoff, you're ready for it, and you buy in full tilt. You got Murtaugh refusing, refusing to follow the rules just so that Riggs can have his fisticuffs with Mr. Joshua. Yes. But can you imagine coming to the end of that movie, you have Special Forces Killer 1, Special Forces Killer 2, and they arrest him and take him without a fight? No way. Right. Right. So Riggs asked him for if he wants a shot at the title. <laughs> <laughs> so cowboy. Uh-huh. It is so cowboy. So amazing. And the entire cowboy. LA police department, along with the helicopter, say, Yeah, heck yeah, let's let these guys fight. Yes. And then of course it can't end with just a beat up. It's gotta end with bullets, right? Absolutely. Bullets from both of our heroes. Yes. And then we have in Die Hard the twist ending, the surprise return and resurrection of what we thought was the dead villain. Yes. Carl. Carl. Yeah. And who is it that saves the day? Not Roy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's it's Al Powell. Yeah. He has made his transition too. He has become that thing that he was afraid of becoming again. Pulled his gun. Yep. Listen, when I saw Die Hard in the theater, yeah. and I'm not exaggerating, people stood and cheered. Yeah. Stood and cheered. Yeah. In a movie. Yeah. When Al Powell pulled his gun. Yep. Because it's freaking awesome, right? Oh, it's and the oh, it's freaking awesome. The guy who you just think is the fat Twinkie eating, can't drive a car cop, is ultimately the guy 
who saves the hero in the movie. Without a doubt. I love it. Yeah, me too. And that brings us to the end. Happy endings in both movies. Happy ending for Die Hard. You get Kiss in the window of the limo as they drive away (laughs) into the sunset. I realize it's not into the sunset, but it looks like it, right? It could be. It's the sunrise almost. And you get that great line from Argyle. This is their idea of Christmas. I got to be here for New Year's. Right. While it's snowing, bear bonds. Right. Because it doesn't snow in LA. No. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Now, the ending for Lethal Weapon, unsurprisingly by Shane Black, was not supposed to be a happy ending. It was a parting of ways. We're not going to see each other anymore. But by the end of the movie, they said, no, we can't do that. We have to have... We have to have the Hollywood ending. They filmed it. Did you see that scene? Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. It's sad. It's depressing. It's, it's depressing. Yes. No, thank now, you. And, and Shane, Shane Black is kind of big on this, you know, doesn't like the Hollywood endings, which is why Riggs dies at the end of his Lethal Weapon 2 script that he wrote. Riggs gets shot 19 times at the end of Lethal Weapon 2. Right. right. And is like. And lives. And worries about, you know, <laughs> throw those cigarettes away. Yeah. What we do get is the moment where he hands the bullet over, right? We realize that he does. He, he says it. He doesn't need it anymore because at the beginning of the movie, he was alone. He meets this guy. They're obviously at odds. They're bickering the whole movie, but by the end, he has a new family. He does. He's been adopted into the Murtaugh family. He says, okay. if you think I'm going to eat the world's worst Christmas dinner by myself, you're crazy. And Rick says, I'll tell you a little secret. I'm not crazy. Yeah. It's great. Love it. It's a ending with a Christmas bow on top. Yep. As a kid of the 80s, I like Hollywood endings. Absolutely. Right? I don't want my hero to die at the end. No. No. Which is why we hated if The we- Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that does it for me for the plot. You got anything else? I mean, I got two bits coming out my come notes. Come on. Right? Come on. All right. So here's a few things for you. Okay. Yeah. Did you know that Leonard Nimoy was originally supposed to direct? Lethal Weapon. No. Yeah. Okay. So Leonard Nimoy ended yeah. up doing Three Men and a Baby instead of Lethal Weapon. Oh, okay. Kind of interesting, okay. Yeah. right? Yeah. There's a point in the movie at the beginning, Murtaugh tells Riggs that Hunsaker saved his life in a certain battle in Vietnam. Right. Mel Gibson portrays this exact battle in We Were Soldiers. Yeah, that was it. We Were Soldiers. Right? Yeah. Okay. I got something that's going to blow you away. Okay. Okay. Here you go. This is going to blow Asterix. you away. <laughs> No, no, no. I got something that's going to blow you away, D. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. This will blow your doors off. Okay. The Beretta that Mel Gibson uses in this film Uh is the same prop gun used in Die Hard that Bruce Willis tapes to his back. What? Same gun. No. Same gun. Okay. According to my extensive (laughs) internet research... Same gun. According to an obscure website (laughs) blog. (laughs) Okay. A running gag in the Lethal Weapon movies is the the one, two, three. No, wait, 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 wait. Hey, Riggs. Yeah. One, two, three, and then go, or one, two, like three, right? Right, It's this running gag. Part two, yes. But it starts between Riggs and Murtaugh in part two. Yes. When Murtaugh's on the toilet. Yes. Toilet bomb. But if you'll if you'll go back to the beginning of Lethal Weapon when they are singing Silent Night when the cops are singing Silent Night oh my so so bad <laughs> they can't they can't figure yes! out when they're gonna start that's right yeah that's right 
I forgot. I noticed that as I was watching it this most recent time. It wasn't until this most recent time, but they're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> the cops keep starting too soon. Yeah. Right. A right. couple of things on Die Hard that you may not know. Yes. Hans, booby. Hans, booby. I'm your white knight. Improvised line by Ellis. Ah, that's totally great. improvised. So when you see Hans' reaction, when you see Alan Rickman's reaction, it's genuine because he was not expecting that line. <laughs> I must have missed sixty minutes. <laughs> what are you saying? Can we let's talk about Ellis for one second? Okay. He is the biggest sleazeball, uh-huh. cokehead, yep, scumbag. Right. Here's something that I have a theory on. You ready for this? Yes. They make this big to do about Ellis. Have I mean they they. Crack open a Coke can, pour it, fill it up. He's drinking it. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think Ellis asked somebody there if they had any Coke. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably right. That's probably right. And they went and got him Coca-Cola. Here's one for you. Okay. Okay. So they brought in Stephen D'Souza to add additional lines, try to get some humor in there. He first meets Bruce Willis. They're only five years age difference. Stephen D'Souza is five years older than Bruce Willis. And they start talking and they realize that they grew up in the same area. Oh, by the way, most German actor in this movie, Bruce Willis, because he was (laughs) born in Germany. But... He was raised in New Jersey, which is where Stephen D'Souza was raised. They knew some of the same hangouts. They're having a good time. They start talking about old TV shows that they liked. And one of the old TV shows that they liked was Roy Rogers. Call me Roy. Yeah. And they both start talking about yippee Kaye and how much they like that line. And D'Souza says, I'm going to get that in the movie. Somehow I'm going to get that in the movie. And so that's how you get the yippee Kaye in the line. That is fantastic. Yes. Let's talk about that line for a second. Okay, go ahead. Okay. We are a PG-13 podcast. We're not going to say the big MF, so don't turn us off. (laughs) But that line, Bruce Willis drops it like a freaking atomic bomb, okay? Uh, So, like, whispered, subtle, brilliant. Yes. (laughs) He sprinkles F-words throughout Die Hard, okay? Uh They're all over the place, but this one is a freaking cruise missile, right? Uh And he says it with such cool and such style. Yes. And it's one of the greatest movie lines of all time that I can't say on this podcast. Yes. Yippee ki Yippee ki motherfucker. mf Yeah. Hurry yeah. <laughs> up. It's so good. So at one point, they had been filming all day, all day long. Uh-huh. D'Souza goes home. As soon as he walks in the door, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. As soon as he walks in the door, Joel Silver calls him up and says, you got to come back. He's like, what? Why? (laughs) He goes, these morons built the vents to spec. So they had this whole plan (laughs) that Bruce Willis is supposed to crawl through the vents. But instead of building them big enough for him to go through, they build them as normal size vents, which is why you have this tight enclosed moment and so D'Souza comes back and that's where you get the line of come out to the coast we'll get together we'll have a few laughs <laughs> that one was D'Souza and then the now I know what it feels like to be a tv dinner that was Bruce Willis improv wow that's awesome yeah that's awesome. oh and and him getting into the vent that was I mean I watched that scene and I'm like there's no freaking way that any human being can fall that far and catch them 
The stuntman was supposed to catch the vent before it. He missed. Here's the deal. The stuntman was supposed to grab that ledge. Yes. He slipped, fell, hit the airbag like four stories down. Oh. But they cut in that quick. Oh, where he barely misses. Yes. Oh, like he hits it, but then he. You it, can tell that guy falls. You can see it clears that he is plummeting. Yeah. And but they are like, no, we can still use that. Just we'll just cut at that just moment. Cut, yeah. Cut to his fingers. Cut to his fingers. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Hey, uh, did you sure. know there's one scene in particular? Bruce Willis wears fake rubber feet. Oh yeah. For so the, that he can run, run across, across the, the glass. glass. Yeah. Shoot. The glass. Why does he speak to him in English? <laughs> They're both supposed to be German. He says something in German. Carl doesn't understand. And so then, or then he says, in English, shoot the glass. Because he's not talking to us. He, he's not talking to, he's the, talking to the audience. He's talking to the audience, right? So good. I got to say that I love in both of these movies that you get your exposition through the arguments of the characters. Okay. Like, that's an amazing thing. Like, we talked about how in... You know, we had a great exposition moment in Raiders because he's teaching the the government guys about the yeah. arc, right? And so it's this opportunity, but he's, I mean, it's obvious exposition. He's telling a long story. It's not an argument. And the same thing with Back to the Future, you've got Doc explaining time travel because they're documenting everything with the TV. But with both of these movies, you don't have any of that one character telling a long exposition type of thing. It's all just an exchange, like them trying to, you know, paper thin, right? This idea that there's something more going on than a, just a bad drug deal. Right. Until the paper thin pays off. But it's always arguments between them. Yes. And same thing in Die Hard. It's the arguments between Hans and... John or Roy or whatever. Uh, it's the arguments between Dwayne T. Robinson and John or Al Powell or those conversations that really informs the audience about what's going on. I just, I thought that was a great way to write a script it's in skillful. Both, both circumstances. Yes. Okay. A couple of little tidbits on Lethal Weapon. Danny Glover and Gary Busey appear again together in Predator Predators Part 2. Two. Yep. Okay. Here's one of the things I wanted to mention to you. There's a couple of setups in Lethal Weapon 1 that come to fruition in Lethal Weapon 2 that I want to mention briefly. And then maybe we can get into sequels a little bit. Yeah. There is a bumper sticker that's taped to the Murtaugh's refrigerator that says, end apartheid. In part two, the bad guys are South African. Also, Riggs's wife, Vicky Riggs. Yes. Victoria Riggs. Yeah. She was killed by the South African bad guys that you find out that in yeah. part two. Yes. So. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to talk about sequels real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about sequels. Here's an interesting thing. You know, I talked about how Bill and Ted face the music starts off kind of slow. Yes. I don't really think about it, but that kind of was the way movies started out until Lethal Weapon 2. Lethal Weapon 2 is really, if I'm looking back, it's the first movie that I can think of where you start in the middle of the action, and it's fantastic. It's not like you just start at an, at an adventure. You're in the middle of a car chase. Yeah. Like the opening title sequence, Riggs is pounding the ceiling. I love this job. Yeah. It's full throttle right out of the gate. Yeah. Lethal Weapon 2 has a lot more humor. Mm-hmm. It's It's leaning on that chemistry between those two actors. Yeah. And it's 
absolutely fun. You still have crazy rigs. It's way yeah. more funny. It's funny. It's certainly got its way. It's way dark in spots. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, you've got you got the death of the the hot South African girl. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name, but anyway. Which I don't know if you know this or not. You can Google deleted scenes for Lethal Weapon Two. Show her mispronouncing her name. <laughs> yes. She mispronounces her name like five times. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You could also see a original ending where she's having Thanksgiving dinner with Riggs and the Murtaugh's. Oh, she lived wow. the first time through. Oh, wow. But they changed it because they wanted Crazy Rigs to come out. You so, got to get crazy. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyway, Lethal Weapon 2, love it. Yeah. Lethal Weapon 3, fun. The one with Jet Li? No, that's four. Okay. That's the one where we get Renee Russo for the first time. You get Renee Russo in uh-huh. part three. She's introduced. But in part two, you get Leo Getz introduced, which is Joe Pesci. Fantastic fantastic yeah when i asked my wife what her favorite part of lethal weapon was yes all she could tell me was leo gets lines right okay 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 okay. no they f you at the drive-thru yeah okay and then it progresses so two three four you have jet lee and you by the way sorry before we go too far that leo gets part was originally written for John Lovitz. Uh-huh. The character was based on something they saw in Three Amigos. John Lovitz part in Three Amigos. They saw that and that was the inspiration for Leo Getz's part. Wow. They wrote it for John Lovitz. Joe Pesci is etched into our memories. Love, love, love that character. Yeah. So two, three, four of Lethal Weapon. You yourself just said you, you kind of mishmash them because they're yeah. all great. Right. I mean, great is a strong. They're all fun. Are we going to talk about five? Let's talk about five. Five is in the works. It's 2020. Mel Gibson is 64 years old. Well, what's Danny Glover? If he was 50 and 87, that means he's 83. Dick Donner is 90 and he's doing it. Good for him. You ready for a Lethal Weapon 5? Sure. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but sure, let's do it. Heck yeah. Yeah. Yes. More. Old. <laughs> <laughs> it, he was too old for it in 87 and he's not too old for it anymore. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Die Hard sequels. Okay. Die Hard Part 1, one of the greatest action movies of all time. Arguably the perfect action movie. I'm not going to argue against that. Yeah. Part 2. Good. Good. Very good. Again, you trade in your German mercenaries for your American mercenaries. Mm -hmm. You got a couple of bad guys to be concerned about. You've got the confined space again, which is right. Yes. I mean, it it, it is another Die Hard. It for sure is. Yes, a step down, but who wouldn't step down from a 10? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a very good movie. Yes. Okay, part three. Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's okay. It's okay. He's running around New York City trying to figure out clues. Simon I- says this, do that, and this. That was written as a Lethal Weapon sequel. What? Die Hard with a Vengeance was originally written as a Lethal Weapon sequel. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So there you go. So Shane Black tells a story about going to, he did the rewrites for Last Action Hero. Okay. Right. Last movie that I walked out of. Right. Yes. And what I understand is John McTernan rewrote the rewrites, Ah. which is why you have such a terrible movie. And so it comes out and obviously everybody felt about the same way that you did. Yeah, it was not a well-received movie at all. And so they have their after party where everybody can't talk about the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, as 
food sure is good. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so uh, Shane Black tells the story of how he, like after that is over, he and Arnold and John McTiernan are sitting there having a beer together. I just can't even imagine that, but <laughs> talking about it. And basically they changed the subject to Die Hard with a Vengeance and John McTiernan starts smiling again because he was totally defeated after Last Action Hero did so badly. But he was he came back to direct Die Hard with a Vengeance. What about Die Hard 4 and 5? I didn't even watch it. They're crap. Yeah. They're crap. Yeah. Well, here's what happens. He turns into the invincible hero, right? Yeah. He he went from a flawed hero, which we love and can identify with, to Superman, Superman. who isn't it's not interesting. The anymore. action was absurd. So sequels, I definitely oh, and it, uh, Lethal Weapon has a TV show that was well yeah. received yeah. until the guy who played Martin Riggs got fired. Yeah. That's that's a story for another day. Right. But the sequels for Lethal Weapon are definitely stronger than the sequels for Die Hard. I think maybe my favorite sequel to Die Hard right now is the Die Hard battery commercial that is <laughs> out where he crashes through the window and says, I'm going to need one of those. <laughs> and then hops into the it's vent. It's great, man. <laughs> it's great. Yes. Okay. Little note on John McTiernan. Did you know that he was arrested and then went to prison. What? So we're talking about one of the biggest directors of the 80s and 90s. He is potentially a guy who can call his own shot, right? Yeah, for sure. So there's... Even after The Last Action Hero. Even after The Last Action Hero, he's still got Dired with a Vengeance. He's still got a ton of movies to his credit. And then he hires this guy named... Anthony Pelicano. He was a private investigator, also a fixer, also a really slimy guy, and was used by a lot of Hollywood folks and basically got a lot of dirt on a lot of Hollywood folks as well. So he used him to spy on his wife whenever they were getting a divorce. And then he also called him back up again whenever he was directing the movie Rollerball because he was worried that this producer on Rollerball was trying to sabotage him. And so he wanted to have this guy check and make sure he wasn't sabotaging him. Well, this guy's tactics were not legal <laughs> okay, in, in the strictest sense of the word. <laughs> and he got in some big trouble with the feds. And so an FBI agent calls John McTernan and says, hey, have you ever used this Anthony Pelicano as a private investigator? John McTernan says... Yeah, I used him whenever I was going through my divorce. I had him, you know, do some investigation on my wife. And they have the investigators like anything else. And John Return says, no. That's a lie. That would be lying. <laughs> and that would be lying to a federal officer, which is a felony offense. And so ultimately, I don't want to go into the big story of it, but, you know, he agreed to do four months and then he withdrew it and then ended up doing 12 months in prison, filed for bankruptcy while he was in prison, wow. lost everything. I mean, it's Gosh. a huge, huge deal for this guy who's like at the top of the wave. I mean, it's just crazy that somebody at that position could lose it all. It's tragic. It is. The guy who directed Predator, the guy who directed Die Hard, Last Action Hero, Hunt for Red October, this guy went to jail and lost it all. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk composers. Okay. Before you do that, I got one little tidbit that I wanted to throw in and okay. that I forgot to do it the other day. When John is plucking glass out of his feet, Al Pal is like, how you doing? And he, he makes the comment. He says, all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. This I've heard this quote my entire life. I knew it was referencing something, but I, I didn't know until I started looking. I know it. Okay. What, this what, is one of those things. This is the trivia card I would get. I, would, I know this. This is the last words of W.C. Fields. Yeah. Yes. 
It's fantastic. So W.C. Fields was born and raised in Philadelphia and would often poke fun at his hometown. And basically the reference was the grave was just slightly worse than being in Philadelphia. <laughs> but the interesting thing, so, so this is a famous W.C. Fields quote. Yeah. President Reagan, after he was shot, he wrote on a note. They said, how you feeling? He said, all in all, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Ah, that's fantastic. Okay. So let's talk composers. Okay. Except that we're not going to talk composers. We're going to talk composer because it's the same guy for both movies. So Michael Kamen is a guy who has a huge library of film work. I mean, it's amazing. And he's not one of those ones that pops up like Hans Zimmer or John Williams or any of those guys that I did but, not know his name before we started looking into this. But it's huge. He's, I mean, his music work is huge. And he was a guy who was classically trained, but also just had a love for all kinds of music. And he did stuff with so many rock and roll artists. I don't think I could possibly list them all. Wanted to be a composer his whole life, but he started off arranging music with Pink Floyd for the movie The Wall. Wow. But he worked with Roger Waters, David Gilmore. Queen, he did the orchestration for Who Wants to Live Forever from oh, Highlander, nice. was the composer for Highlander, worked with Eric Clapton, Aerosmith, he did the live orchestral part for Dream, Dream On. On, Yeah, he worked with Bon Jovi, he worked with the Eurythmics, Metallica on the Nothing Else Matters, and their whole, that whole live album that yeah, they did, the yeah. S&M, yeah. he was the S part, he was the symphony for their... Metallica. He's That's huge. fantastic. Why have we not heard of this guy? I don't know. I don't know. He passed away like in November 18th, 2003 of a heart attack, but he got called on to work on Lethal Weapon. And he said, no, no. I, I'm not interested in action movies. I don't like action movies. I don't want to do them. And I think it might've been Eric Clapton that persuaded him to become involved with the movie because you've got two themes going on with Lethal Weapon. You've got the sex theme. Yep. Sexy sex. And you've got the guitar theme. So the sax theme is Roger Murtaugh. The guitar theme is Martin Riggs. And then he goes on to do action movie after action movie after action movie. So after Lethal Weapon, he did Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> Nobody gets out of here without playing the blues. <laughs> he did Renegades. He did License to Kill. He did Roadhouse. He did Lethal Weapon 2. He did Die Hard 2. He did Nothing But Trouble. He did Hudson Hawk. <laughs> he did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh, he did The Last Boy Scout. He did Tales from the Crypt. He did Lethal Weapon 3. He did Last Action Hero. He did The Three Musketeers. He did Don Juan DeMarco. I mean, it just goes on and on wow. and on. I mean, it's... Wow. And then he, uh, in 95, he did Mr. Holland's Opus. And oh, yeah. You're a fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So after that, he started his own foundation called... Mr. Holland's foundation that would provide used musical equipment for underprivileged schools. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you mentioned Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton actually does play the guitar mm -hmm. for the Lethal Weapon Riggs theme. Obviously, he's got the Lethal Weapon theme. And then, of course, he did the music for Die Hard as well. And it is, I mean, we know it's Beethoven, right? We know it's, it's Ode to Joy. It's absolutely Ode to Joy, yes. But... I mean, in order to do that, you have to be able to take that and not only cut it down, but slip it in and make it relevant to what's going on in the film. And he did it so well. I mean, that music is 
perfect throughout. He uses it throughout the movie along with the little jingle bells to make sure that we remember that this is a Christmas movie. Absolutely. Yes. You know, you talked about it at the beginning at the Christmas party. Yeah. There is a four-piece orchestra at the Christmas party playing Ode to Joy. That's diegetic music. Diegetic music, yeah. And he does slip it in. He teases you with it. And then when they open the vault and Hans and Theo are raiding the place, you get Ode to Joy full tilt, right? At its peak. Yes, at that peak moment. What does he say? Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's time. Okay. We've been waiting. Yeah. It's time. We gotta talk about it now. Okay. We gotta talk about it now. So here's the deal. We've been teasing this. I have my own battles with my sister. She and I go back and forth on this. I have a friend, Dana Smith. She likes to poke the bear when she teases me about this. Are these Christmas movies? D, let's go. They are definitely Christmas movies. That's not just an opinion. We can we can establish this through empirical analysis of the evidence in front of us okay (laughs) despite the fact that bruce willis caused a stir about three years ago whenever he during his roast he made this point of i only did this to say that this that die hard is not a christmas movie okay all due respect bruce you didn't write the movie that's right you know who wrote the movie steven d'souza steven d'souza you know what steven d'souza says it's the greatest christmas movie of all time yes and he even created a chart. He created a chart to prove his point. And we'll go through that. And he just, obviously, he just has diehard that he's ticking off these points on. But let's look at both Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and the movie White Christmas, who no one, no one would argue that White Christmas is not a Christmas movie. But let's look at them all side by side. And you tell us after this empirical analysis of the evidence in front of us, what you think. All right, let's go. All right. Side by side, here we go. Okay. Takes place during Christmas holiday. Die Hard? Yes. Takes place entirely during Christmas Eve, right? Absolutely. Okay. Lethal Weapon takes place week at the most, but clearly first scene is him buying Christmas trees when he makes his drug bust. Last scene is you're not going to make me eat the worst Christmas dinner by myself. And so obviously... It the whole movie takes place during the Christmas holiday. Yep. White Christmas, final reel only. Rest of the movie does not take place during the Christmas holiday. Aha. All right. Setting. Okay. Die Hard, obviously. Yes. Christmas party. 100%. Right. Yep. But we know from the movie in Lethal Weapon that they are preparing for some sort of party because they have the quartet of officers practicing singing Silent Night. So there has to be some sort of event, which is why they're prepping for this, which, as you mentioned, was really the birth of, is it, do we go on three or do we go one, two, three, then go? That's right. That was the birth of that. But still, they're singing in preparation. They're practicing in preparation for something. So again, you have a Christmas party, white Christmas, again, only the final reel. Okay. Hold on one second before we move off of Silent Night. Yeah. Do you know the name of the composer of Silent Night? The original Austrian composer's name is Franz Gruber. No. Yes. What? Franz Gruber. Wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's point diehard. 
That's really amazing. All right. So number of Christmas songs. So far, White Christmas is losing two out of two battles, right? Okay, right. Okay. So number of Christmas songs in Lethal Weapon. We have the beginning song, Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell Rock. We have the quartet of officers singing Silent Night. Yes. And we also have, what else? You got, you've got the Bugs Bunny holiday special playing in the background. That counts. When Riggs is looking down the barrel of his own gun. That counts. That counts. So Die Hard has three. It has Let It Snow. It has Winter Wonderland. And it has... Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. And so three, three. And what does White Christmas have? It has White Christmas and snow, and that's it. <laughs> Again, three for three, White Christmas as is losing to both Die Hard and Lethal Weapon as a Christmas movie. Now at this point, <laughs> Steven D'Souza gets a little bit weird. <laughs> He gets like he's talking about the party venue being threatened and Die Hard is by terrorists and White Christmas is by foreclosure. I think that just makes the point that Die Hard's more exciting, not necessarily that it's a better movie. And then he mentions that, you know, the German ringleader is Hans Gruber in Die Hard and a White Christmas is Hitler. And so point goes to White Christmas on that one, again, for, <laughs> for weighty value, but not necessarily for Christmas. But if we're looking at Christmas stuff, really, then what we have to look at, this is the key, Christ-like sacrifice. Lethal Weapon. Mel Gibson is hanging by his hands after being tortured and refuses to talk in a sacrifice to save his partner and his daughter. Obviously a Christ-like sacrifice. For sure. John McClane, running barefoot across the glass, has his feet pierced (laughs) in order to save his wife and the rest of the people. Again, obvious Christ-like sacrifice. What's the sacrifice in White Christmas? Danny Kay has to upgrade Vera Ellen's train ticket. I'm going to say without question that both Lethal Weapon and Die Hard beat White Christmas without any hesitation as Christmas movies. This is not a fight. This is an execution. (laughs) 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 I've got a few other things to throw on the pile. Throw Throw it on. All right. So... Die Hard is essentially about a husband and a wife desperate to get their family back together for Christmas. Yes. Okay. Lethal Weapon is all about a family taking in someone without a family. It's an adoption. Yep. Okay. Yeah. There are gifts given in Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. Okay. Yeah. The gifts given in Die Hard. Uh-huh. The Rolex. Uh-huh. McLean gives his gun to Hans. Yeah. Okay. okay. He then takes it immediately back. Yeah. And yeah, no bullets. Oh, no bullets. <laughs> what do you think? I'm having stupid Hans. <laughs> okay. The bad guys give themselves the biggest Christmas present of the movie. Oh, yes. And then McLean gives himself his own gun at the perfect time, wrapped with season greetings gift tape. If that doesn't tell you Christmas, when the, when the camera pans back, and you see a gun taped to his back with the tape saying season's greetings on the <laughs> tape and the music is going ching, 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 oh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Tell me again. It's not a Christmas movie, Bruce. Hey, Lethal Weapon. At the end of Lethal Weapon, Riggs gives Roger a gift-wrapped holotip bullet. He actually gives it to Rianne. She's like, it's a bullet. He's like, yeah, it's a bullet. What he's saying is, I'm not suicidal anymore, thanks to you. Right. That's Christmas spirit, is it's it not? Christmas all over the place. Okay. And then you have tons of Christmas references like Twas the Night Before Christmas, you yep. know, Theo. 
Hans even says, it's Christmas time, Theo. It's the time for miracles. Yes. And then, of course, you have, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. With the Santa hat on. With the Santa hat on. Absolutely. And then Lethal Weapon, you've got Christmas lights. You've got the Christmas tree. You've got the Christmas fight in the front yard. Oh, wait. Is that, is that just my family? No. Yeah. Everybody has a Christmas. Everybody has a front yard Christmas fight. Everybody. <laughs> Leave the weapon has Christmas trees, caroling, presents, snow. Uh, those girls were messing around with snow. Yeah. And Die Hard, it's snowing the bear bonds. It's snowing bear bonds. Absolutely. Music, as you said, John McClane's wife's name. This is the key. Is Holly. It is so brilliant. I you you totally called that and I can't believe I overlooked it. But <laughs> knowing that you have to say this is not only a Christmas movie, it is deliberately a Christmas movie. Main themes of both movies: family, love, joy, peace. All right. Okay. Are we ready to move to final judgment? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Am I going first? You you're going first. All right. Final judgment. I love both of these movies, and I can't stress that. I know I say that every time. Both of these movies are automatic watches. If I'm passing by the channel and I see Lethal Weapon, I'm stopping. If I see Die Hard, I'm stopping. If I see Die Hard, I'm stopping. I'm throwing my remote behind me. It's not. I'm not changing the channel. Okay? It doesn't matter. To me, Lethal Weapon is the best buddy cop and maybe the best movie of 1987, a movie packed full of 80s gems. Yeah. It's my Favorite movie of 1987. Yeah. Die Hard is in the conversation for best movie ever for me. Okay. So I do love wholeheartedly both of these movies. I love the Lethal Weapon franchise more. Yeah. But I love Die Hard as a standalone movie the most. For me, it's Die Hard. Well, I feel like he kind of stole my thunder there. It's about time. <laughs> I just always wanted to say that. I mean, it's the end of the season here. We're done. We're done. I just wanted to finally be able to say it. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So two absolutely brilliant movies without question. If they're on, I'm watching. No hesitation. So the question is, which one's better of these two amazing movies? Die Hard is arguably the perfect action movie. It has little bits of action intermixed with comedy and story and struggles, and it is brilliant from beginning to end. Lethal Weapon is fantastic, but it has some flaws. The fight scene that you just mentioned, the holiday fight in the yard, that is ridiculous. That is just plain ridiculous. The suspense music as we're waiting and waiting and waiting for the cars to drive up in the desert is just unreal. I'm like, guys, I know you spent a lot of money on this shot, but you could have had this done about a minute and a half ago. Let's, let's move on. And then the worst scene in the movie is at the very beginning where – Roger Murtaugh's in the bathtub and his family comes in and he doesn't hide the turtle head floating up out of the water. <laughs> he just lets him sing happy birthday and gets a kiss from his daughter and then sexy music starts playing. I, I, I don't know. That's just, there's some things that just can't be excused in this movie. And so for that reason, I have to say Die Hard wins as the better of these two movies. Now, you make an important point. Franchise to franchise, Lethal Weapon wins hands down. It's not even close. 
Lethal Weapon franchise is great. I can't wait to see what they do with five. Richard Donner's 90, and he's going to do something amazing. I'm sure of it. Die Hard was pretty good after... The second one was about the last good one, really. I mean, some people like the third one. I don't really care for it. And then he becomes this hero that you can't be, that which was, I mean, the whole reason we loved it was how human he was. Right. And so we. I am disappointed with where Die Hard went. So there I am. Franchise to franchise, Lethal Weapon wins, but we're not comparing franchises. We're comparing the movies and movie to movie, without question, Die Hard wins the day. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so... Best Christmas movie of all time? That might be pushing it a little bit. Let us hear from you guys. <laughs> what is your favorite of these two, Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon? Tell us what your favorite Christmas movie is of all time. Yeah. Maybe you're a Christmas vacation guy, or maybe you're an elf guy. Yeah. Or girl. Guys, we're at the end of season one. We've covered so many movies, so many albums, so much stuff. Write in and tell us what's your favorite. Write in and tell us what you want to see. We love hearing these things. We've got guys who have supported us on Patreon. We have got guys who communicate constantly with us uh, via email, via Facebook, via Twitter. And we love it. Keep doing it. Come in, join the conversation. This is what we do it for, is to, to make connections with folks like you. Jason, Merry Christmas. The Merry Christmas. We will see you all next year. Let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight.